If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet is of utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here is your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone, to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about one of the most maligned and misunderstood training tools in the whole wide world, remote training callers, not shock callers. Uh, but before we get started, I want to reach out to uh, good old military friends. We've got a couple of listeners that are in the military, and they reached out this week, and they just wanted to say, hey, Brian, first of all, love the show, but here's what we love the most. You're no BS, and we really appreciate that. We feel like we have a protector out there in the pet industry world. Uh, someone is going to tell it to us the way it is, going to protect us, give us the information that Again, we need not so much what we want, but what we need. That's absolutely right. That's what we do. Thank you for your service. Appreciate it, guys. Keep listening, and we're going to keep rocking this thing because you can count on this. We're here not to gain popularity, not to gain likes. We hope we do because that spreads the message. But we're here to be that very thing, that protector for you, to filter through all the bull crap that's out there in the pet industry. Bunch of thieves out there, bunch of fraudulent stuff going on. Um, we're here because you're supposed to have a dog that you enjoy. It's supposed to lower your blood pressure, not raise it. It's not supposed to bite your children, not supposed to get you sued. So let's rock and roll because we have got a big topic today, something that is dear to my heart. Uh, for many years, I trained service dogs for children with advanced muscular dystrophy. These poor children, it's all they could do is to operate the little joystick on their little electric wheelchairs. Yet they had a dog that I trained for them that would do directed retrieval back in the days when they actually had a pencil and not an iPad or an Apple pen like me right now. They had textbooks. Yeah, when they had textbooks, <laughs> these dogs would open up drawers for them, would open up doors, pull their wheelchair whenever the conditions required it. And I'm here to tell you, the only way that I could get that thing done and get it done reliably and create an animal that actually loved that child, responded to that child, would lay its life on the line for that child was through a remote training caller. Same thing with my police dog, Yager. That was my buddy. He saved my life on three different occasions and he saved the lives of other people on five different occasions. And he was trained with a remote training caller. Now I could just keep this up all day long and perhaps we will. But for right now, I just wanna talk about it because it's just, people need to understand that this is a tool that can be used, is used, has been used, and will continue to be used regardless of how many bands you try to put on it. People are going to find a way to work around it, and they're going to get it done because there is no greater tool than this. I wouldn't even think of owning a dog without a remote training caller, and you're going to find out why. Today is part one on shock callers, the horror of it all. And you can probably detect a little sarcasm in that. (laughs) Just a little. Just a little. Next week is part two, even the more horror (laughs) in it all. Uh, We'll come up with something else to say. Okay, but it is maligned. It is misunderstood. Uh, You know, you even just mention it. Oh, my God. First of all, when someone refers to the device as a remote training 
collar. Right then, I pay attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is someone with knowledge. Someone that probably has a little bit of skill in using it, has experience. The second someone calls it a shock collar in front of me, my brain instinctively tunes them out. It runs and hides. It, it goes to its happy place. And that's where I hang out till they finally shut up. Because when you call it a shot caller, you just opened your mouth and announced to the whole wide world how much you don't know, how ignorant you are. I mean, after all, give me a break. It is a tool. And what do you say about a tool, Joshua? Tell me about the hammer. You're telling that to a girl the other day. Yeah. So I always tell my clients, it, it's just a tool. And a hammer is also a tool. And with a hammer, I can build a house or I can bash somebody's brains in with it. Amen. It's a tool. Amen. This device has the ability to be turned so low, there's no way, no chance anyone or anything could feel anything. Period. You can't. You just can't. The dog can't detect it. The human can't detect it. And then the vast majority give you a hundred more choices, some even more than that. So anything that even gets near the threshold of pain or near the threshold of being inhumane, well, that's controlled by the human. It's the human. It's not the machine. Give me a break. Don't shoot the messenger. You know, it's the human. And therefore, everyone worried in all these countries wanting to ban shock callers. Well, you might as well force your people and build a stinking wall around your country, throw out the idiots that are operating the darn thing inhumanely. Because why? If they were going to do that with that device, they'll just find another way to get it done. It's not going to stop them. No, it's not going to stop them. I've seen dogs abused. Every which in 40 years, and sadly, I've seen it done 50 million ways a Sunday. It's horrible. And it can be done. It can be just simply done just through mental. Mm-hmm. You don't have to touch the animal. Just through auditory, visual signals, you name it. So, again, guys, this show is about educating you so that you can make a choice. Next week, if you decide, hey, you know what? I want to give this a shot. I really want to try it out. Well, now we're going to teach you how to use it, teach you how to use it properly, because there are important steps that must be obeyed. You fail to do that. Well, the only shocking thing that will happen is that your dog will, A, not do a darn thing for you, probably never again for that particular behavior you're trying to train. So, yeah, you know, there's a learning curve and you got to learn it and you got to apply yourself to do it. But if you do, your dog will thank you for it. Your family will thank you for it. Everyone. And that's a point that I want to make right there is the dog thanking you for it. That's the hard part that people go, oh, I guess I just have to be a little bit more aggressive with my dog. And, and they just have to accept that. No, 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 no. Long term, the dog thanks you for it. And, and that's the big part with me. These people that have the best intentions. And I really understand that they do have the best intentions. But I'm going to throw some names out there like humanesociety.org. They put a, a, a article out talking about how the the least humane and most controversial use of a shot collar is calling it a training tool. I thought they were in the business of helping dogs. And that's one thing that they cannot get past is that this thing actually does help dogs. Yeah, there's a reason why I'm writing a book titled Save the Dog, Euthanize the Human. <laughs> Gosh. And there'll be chapters in there where we call euthanize the organization. 
uh, and just chopped the head off the darn snake right then and there. You're absolutely right. The, so let's, why? Why is this tool, good Lord, over, geez, prong collars, you know, slip collars, no pull harnesses, halties. We had an episode all about equipment. Why this thing? What is it? Well, I think there are several factors that play into this, several of them. One, number one, by far, we talk about all the time care. What is it? They don't understand. They don't understand the collar. How to use it? Ignorance. Yeah. And what happens to the brain when it doesn't understand, Joshua? It says no. It does. No, thank you. The confused confused brain says no. So, therefore, we have no right off the bat. Why? Because I don't understand it. We met with someone yesterday, Joshua, who is has years as a veterinary technician, mm-hmm. raises dogs, trains dogs, and she had no idea that she could set the thing on something that well, wasn't painful. Well, I just pulled out the remote on the level that I was most previously using on the dog that I was just working with. And I handed her the remote. I didn't touch the remote, so I didn't dial it down sneakily or anything like that and handed it to her. And I, she goes, is it, is it going to get me? And I said, you'll be completely underwhelmed. And she yeah. put it on there and she goes, oh, oh. Yeah. 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 That's always what we get. I, <laughs> I love to watch him cringe when I say, you will put your fingers on this and you will like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then they do. Yeah. And they're sitting there shaking to get their eyes closed. They're gritting their teeth. And I just sit there. And about five seconds goes by and you see one eye open, then the other eye open. And they'll go, uh, well, are you going to do it? <laughs> and I'll go, uh, I've been doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's got a continuous mode. It'll run for 12 seconds. In fact, it just now shut off. If, it blows their mind. And then when they see the their, yeah. Yeah, and then when they see their <laughs> dog <laughs> doing the behavior at a distance and they see the, the absolute joy because the freedom the animal has structure. We need it. We're social animals. We have to have structure and structure sets you free because it sets limits. It sets boundaries. That's what pain's there for, Mm -hmm. to let you know what you can do and what you can't do and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. It's all freedom within limits. There you go. Absolutely. I've done, I have thousands of hours skydiving and I'm here to tell you there are limits. There are limits. (laughs) If you don't obey those limits, you will bounce, pure and simple, or you'll get caught up on the plane and dragged along from the tail of the plane. That happened to me. I had to do a cutaway because why? I didn't obey the limits. Things like that happen, but limits set you free to skydive and fly through the air and all sorts of things. So, again, the, the main issue behind this is flat-out ignorance. People don't take the time to learn about it. So, why is that? Because does it boil down to a can't or I won't? And I think that it definitely boils down to, I won't, because there is no way that you can't. There's plenty of wonderful information about it out there. And plus, you have yourself. Just try it. Just do it and see what you get back, the feedback. We're also in a, a marketing battle right now. I mean, this is us at war right now talking about this because in, in a sense, we're losing it because you talk to anybody, they think of it as shock collar. So it is a way in which that it's being marketed. And so just like the woman that we met with yesterday, it's been marketed to her as that. I mean, it's really hard to beat the masses. And that's what the masses is saying about it. And fear is number one. Yeah. 
fear. You know, that's, that's the way the brain works. You have to eliminate a threat before you can now consider friend. It's always foe or friend. Uh, and that's a foe. And people are using scare tactics and terrorizing everyone. And the next thing you know, uh, you keep, every year you keep seeing that number. We keep seeing an estimate of 700,000 dogs per year euthanized in this country for bad behavior. Every year it ticks up. Here we go, 800,000, 900,000. When will it stop? When will we decide, hey, dog, I love you to death, but you know what? You kind of need to do what I tell you to do. When will we do that? Uh, so again, I think a lot of personal bias interferes with it. It interferes with the acquisition of knowledge because the knowledge is available to you. So it's a matter of won't, not can't. You can. If you can read, and even if you can't read, you can watch a video. There, The knowledge is out there. Uh, then again, lack of skill. That's another thing. So some people will say, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to take the plunge and I'm going to buy one of these things. So they hop on Amazon and they order one in. And next thing you know, they don't bother to do the learning part. And they think that they just bought a remote control for their dog. So, of course, here we go. You take the dog out to the dog park and you say, hey, honey, <laughs> I'm going to call the dog here. Watch this. You know how it wasn't coming the last two times we were here? It's going to come now, by golly. And they say, you know, you say, Fido, come and you press this button. And this dog has no clue where that came from. What the heck was that? So, of course, they do an immediate natural pairing. And it's the ground I just was on. It was the grass I just ran through. It was that creek I jumped over. And the dog is fearful and runs because something is getting it. And because the dog doesn't obey you like a remote controlled dog should, well, it remember, it does come with a lot of levels to it. Now that person turns those levels up, increases the signal. The, and now you do hit a pain threshold and the brain shuts down because that's what brains do. When the arousal level hits, a starts to get anywhere near fight or flight, it immediately only deals with fight or flight. So the animal's not even thinking about coming called. And this is what happens. So many people think they bought a remote control. Well, and then they have buyer's remorse immediately and they start going, oh, I should have listened to all those warnings about not yeah. using this thing. And, and then it just goes down this tunnel. Oh, now when I pull the collar out, my dog shakes in its boots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like it really associated with that car. Right right. Right. You know, uh, fortunately, that's exactly what happened in 1970 when uh, remote training callers came up the first time. It was hunters that created this device. And I get it. You know, you have a hunting dog. Good luck keeping something that's supposed to jump into a frozen lake and retrieve a duck or go into a third, uh, thorny uh, briar patch and retrieve a dove or some other bird that you, you shot. They, they needed a device that said, hey, if you start chasing that deer versus fetching those birds, I'm going to light your little sorry butt up. <laughs> and they did. They came up with something that lit up on Fortunately, I'm sorry for you dogs, I appreciate the sacrifice that you made, but a lot of those sorry butts got lit up and the next thing you know, they quit hunting. They wouldn't get out of the back of the pickup truck because yeah, they didn't know what it was. Of course, so they associate it with the woods that they were in and now there's something invisible and evil out there in them, their woods. And I am not getting out of this pickup truck. No way, no how. Well, that forced us to go back to the drawing board and say something didn't quite work 
right. And thank goodness that happened. Again, sorry for you dogs, but I appreciate the sacrifice because now there are a lot of dogs that are in, enjoying incredible lives, doing incredible things for human beings, servicing human beings, all because we have this tool. All right, so that's one of it. So we got ignorance, lack of skill, can't or won't. It's more of I won't because of personal bias. You know, and then you just get, just got some people. They don't even know what it is. These are just people who want to stand for something, even if they don't know what the heck they're standing for. I've seen people on soapboxes, and I tell them it's an upside-down tomato crate, and they didn't even know it. They, in other words, they had no clue what they were arguing about. They just wanted to argue. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to be part of the bandwagon. Yeah, they just wanted to be part of something because their lives are part of nothing. And therefore, they wanted to stand for something. Um, And then lastly, I think one of the most damaging of all is just the research. Uh, I have yet to come across any research that did not have, I'm not talking just a few holes in it. I'm talking gigantic holes all the way through it, through and through. I'm talking about the size of a darn flying saucer to it. <laughs> I'm just talking big, baby. And, you know, and here's one of them. And you guys can look it up yourself and kind of do your own thing. But, you know, there was a report, and I'm not going to get on here and just beat up a whole bunch of people because that's, that's not what we're about. We're, we're about making a point here so that you can make an educated choice. But, again, there's all these things known as half-truths. So be careful of the half that you are presented. Our job is, and what we feel we need to do, is to always present both sides of the story. So there was a big research that was done by the British Columbia Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals back last December. So it's pretty recent. And it goes on to uh, uh, basically the, it wasn't just picking on remote training callers, it was picking on either a force-free type methodology or a more of a balanced approach or using what they call aversive stimulus. Um, but right off the bat, just a couple things, just kind of lean a little bit forward on this, is the, the people behind it, meaning the authors, the ones that are the main driving force, one of those, uh, her, her thesis uh, for PhD thesis was understanding the welfare of rats living in standard versus semi-naturalistic laboratory environments. Okay. Now, being a behaviorist myself, I get part of that. So some of you would immediately disqualify that person based upon that saying, wait a minute, what does a rat have to do with the dog? It's a mammal. And if there wasn't continuity in between the mammalian brains, then why would you study fear in the amygdala of a rat to determine treatment that would work for a human suffering from phobias or mental disorders? So that doesn't disqualify this person at all. Uh, in fact, it, it makes them more qualified and unqualified. But again, this whole thing was designed, this research as you read through it, for one purpose. Not to say which one is better or not so, or, or at least uh, best to use or whatever the words I'm trying to come up with, just keep it simple, Brian. Which one's better, which one's not. Is the, it was designed to create a standard for dog trainers in British Columbia, which is an awesome thing. Good luck getting it done, though. Mm. That's a very hard thing to do, and we've discussed that before because there are no standards. 
But uh, the, the report that is damaging uh, with regard to remote training callers and any sort of aversive stimuli, here's where the big holes come in. First of all, most of it was based upon surveys that were given to guardians of dogs. Now, again, no one bothers to explain what's a guardian. I was about to ask that. Yeah, is a dog owner? Is it a foster parent or what is it? Yeah. It's a guardian. Uh, there's a lot of definitions of guardian. There's legal definitions behind it. There are assumed yeah. Yeah. definitions behind it. Uh, if I, if some flying saucer does land here and I dive across the table and cover both of you up, am I a guardian <laughs> or is that some sort of Avenger movie and there's some other sort of guardian? I don't know. But anyway, so you guys scratch your head and go, okay, well, who's the guardian? And was this a subjective survey? Was it based upon any sort of knowns? Uh, was it a situational research like Mary Ainsworth did years ago, the stranger situation, which everything was set up exactly the same? What was this? So anyway, very vague there. Uh, so again, there's a big hole in that because now you've got people who own dogs. And again, we already covered, are they knowledgeable? Are they, do they have personal bias? So on and so forth, or they just want to stand for something. Mm -hmm. So again, there's a lot of holes in that that wouldn't even fly in a court of law. That thing would get picked apart in a heartbeat. Uh, so some of us are based upon surveys, a lot of it in some physiological data, but in measuring the cortisol levels of the animals that were being subjected to the testing, uh, it was cortisol, by the way, you can certainly look it up. It's a stress hormone that is released. Uh, is usually is released about the time your glucose runs out. And so if, if you're in a very stressful situation, your body will start to build up a high level of corticosteroids running through the system. Uh, so it's like a, just a stress steroid type release from adrenal glands. And anyway, so they measured this because if you have a high, high level of cortisol, it can be not always, but can be indicative of high stress levels in your body. But it goes on to say, but also with positive stimuli, uh, meaning you can have high cortisol with positive stimuli, such as sexual or physical activity. And it leaned on a report that was done back in 2000. And it says, therefore, physiological measures are likely confounded in animals during training, especially in situations where the dogs are actively running or chasing. Let me say that again, running or chasing. So now you're admitting that you could have a high cortisol level if your dog is running and chasing like at a dog park or a daycare, so on and so forth. Uh, then it goes on and then they tapped into two trainers to use uh, a shock collar and that's what they call it. So again, there we go. There's another big hole uh, versus reward based methods. Uh, and they relied upon their observations on using a remote collar when for only two specific behaviors, stop chasing. So we already made that cortisol's up when we chase things and recall. Okay. Uh, so now there's a big hole in that. Why? Because when you think of an animal, an organism's cognition narrows down the information flow. It always does. It always narrows down the information flow, all the information coming in and it makes it learn the specific contingencies it needs to know given its natural history. 
So in other words, a dog will first learn all the things it needs to know to be a dog. Not a fur baby, not a little person in a fur coat. What do I need to know to be a dog? Well, part of being a dog and part of your natural history is not coming when called. It's not. Hey, we've talked about this before. Dogs don't call dogs to them using auditory. Wolves don't do the same thing. If a wolf can see a wolf, it will go to that wolf because, A, I don't need to announce to the whole wide world that I'm here because that makes my animals that I want to hunt run away. And also, the closer I am to you, the more influence I have over your behavior. So coming when called is not a natural behavior. It's not part of a dog's natural history. So that's a big problem when you're going to test that. And then anytime you're doing a test, you have to take into account the animal's attention. What are you using to gain its attention? What are you doing to motivate it? And then lastly, and most importantly, cognition, meaning what is the information flow that naturally occurs with the animal and how do I need to make an adjustment to that? And also, what does it even know how to do? So again, we don't know what skill level these dogs were trained. We don't even know the skill levels and the cognition levels of the trainers because all it gives to the, our, it talks about them is that they were had the credentials of APDT, and that's the Association of Professional Dog Trainers in the UK. So they have UK, the United Kingdom. Uh, okay. <laughs> if you're, if you're going to put that on any of your name, just kind of be transparent about it. It's a paid membership. Yep. You pay the APDK. Yeah. They give you a little test, a little written test. And who wrote the written test? People who formed the APDK, uh, DTME. And there's several memberships. There's a $160 a year membership. There's a $110 a year membership. So now here we go. So now we have trainers who paid their membership dues and they get these credentials behind their name. And no one knows how good they are about anything, what they know about using a remote training call or what they know about the natural cognition flow of the animal in which they're testing. Yada, yada, yada. Guys, I'm not going to spend any more time with this. I do canine pharmacotherapy. That's what I do when I'm not on this radio show. I treat animals suffering from mental disorders. And when you do that, one of the things that you have to do, no matter what, whether you do it chemically or whether you do it from a deactivation and counter conditioning standpoint, you must trap the dog midway in its arousal column, meaning there's a column, three different levels, calm zone, arousal zone, reactive zone. The closer an animal approaches the reactive zone, whether from fear or whether from excitement. You know, you ever hear saying, I laugh so hard, I peed my pants. So you can get near that zone from an excitability level. You can actually overexcite yourself. It happens to a lot of people. They hyperventilate and they pass out. This can happen. You, the closer you are to that zone, that reactive zone, the more immune you become to any input other than how do I make stop what's going on? That's it. That's it. So again, if you, how high up the column were these dogs? How far up 
were they? Uh, these trainers got to work with their preferred make and model of shot callers. And again, there are good ones mm-hmm. and there are bad ones. There are some that come with one level and that level yeah. is ouch. Yeah, it is. You bet you like the, the ones of back in 1970 mm-hmm. only had one setting. I'll let you sorry, but up. Mm-hmm. So again, they got to use their own. So no one even bothered to set the standard. Say, hey, you, you will use this because part of coming up with good, good data from research is having a consistent model because mm-hmm. that's the only thing that allows you to draw a comparison. So would these trainers have gotten a different result had they used a different model? Absolutely. No doubt. So again, guys, I, I just, I, I can't say enough about it. I can do this all day long. There's 50 million holes. And the last one, they got to set the caller to the shock intensity they deemed appropriate. They. There was no standard saying you cannot go above level 20. There was no standard. You left it up to humans, and I already covered that point. When the darn thing can be set so low, you can't feel it to a level that you go, oh my God, that really hurt can how the, can I make that not ever happen again you now leave it to the human you leave it to their ability to assess the situation to, to use what they deem necessary you leave it all in their hands you should have titled this report after their names not your own you should have put them on here because you left the whole thing up to them okay so that's one of the major issues that we have is we have all of these things working against a tool that I'm passionate about. And if you couldn't tell that, well, yeah, and then turn it off because you need to go listen to the, the, some reruns from the Lawrence Welk show or whatever. <laughs> it, we are passionate about it. And why? Because I don't, I don't get any money for selling a remote caller. We're passionate about it because we, we love dogs. God dang. I mean, if, if, the, you know, if we if, were using this as an abusive tool, why have the hundred levels? Why not just have the one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why creep up on them? Right. right. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I wrote in my book, the hammer, why dogs attack us and how to prevent it for aggression to be effective. It has to be what? Swift, fast, lightning fast. And therefore why ease up on it? Just swing the stinking hammer and get it over with. Um, so again, you're right. We, we do this because we need you to understand that this tool is not what everyone claims it to be. Everyone knows where to find me. They know where I live. They got this radio show. Bring it. I will challenge anyone, any scientist, any academic institute, bring it. You heard it right now. I've been doing this for 40 years in the freaking trenches, baby, in the weeds, down crawling in the mud. I've been there in front of thousands of clients. I've seen dogs kill people. I've been attacked. I've been, I've done every level of training that you can imagine ever doing. So that counts for something. It counts for something. Guarantee I could probably get a couple honorary degrees just for all that stuff. It counts for something. And that's why I'm here because someone out there has to step up and say, Hey, enough, stop it. You know, have we, have we become so weak as humans that, again, I, I think it boils down to I've got a good colleague who's a psychiatrist, and he and I are going to be teaming up on a really fascinating, we are going to do a research. And don't think for a second, you don't throw a stone around a glass house. So there are not going to be any big holes in my research. 
Otherwise, I'm not even going there. <laughs> I mean, have a target all over my whole body and just say, well, Brian, I remember on this episode about shock collars, the horror of it all, you reamed those people about their research. Well, now look at you. So we're, this is well thought out. It's going to use a model that's well known, but it's going to have a lot of variables attached to it. But where I'm going with this whole thing is that there is something between we humans are affecting how dogs respond, uh, meaning from a fearful way, from a way that is not natural. Something is interfering with their cognition flow to do what's natural, instinctive to them. We're interfering with that. And I definitely think it has something to do with attachment styles. Helicopter parents create helicopter children, or they create children who are completely opposite. Mm -hmm. They get, it's kind of like drinking, like he, he used the example, kind of like drinking from a fire hose. You get it overprotective on you. The last thing you want is to be protected anymore. So to create an opposite, but in an animal who doesn't have the ability to reason, that flows right into them. That hose is jammed down their throat. Um, and, and another thing that happens with that is if your attachment style is more of a preoccupied, meaning you are anxious, you are fearful, and you're worried about, oh, my gosh, my husband's supposed to be home right now, and, he, he, and he's not home. He's five minutes late. And, and what's wrong with my dog? And, and how come you guys haven't sent me a picture of my dog because it's in a, a board and train program? And why have you done this? Why have you done that? And, and you get all these things. It's... It really affects the animal. Well, and one of the number one things I've always done when working with nervous animals is get them away from the client. First thing I do is get them away from the client. See how the dog responds not with the, with the owner because you'll see, you'll almost always see a completely different dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's part of the test and that's part of the Ainsworth testing that she did years ago. Um, you know, but where I'm going with that whole thing is when we have that situation happening, we... We just don't want to do anything. Uh, structure becomes harsh, any sort of structure. And I'm going to admit the remote training collar was designed for structure. Create structure. Got to have it. You've got boundaries, and you can't exceed these boundaries. Okay, so tell you what we're going to do here. Uh, I think we're actually just looking here, see if we're about to roll up on a break. It's going to give you guys a little bit of a break. Uh, but we'll do that here in just a second. Let's hop into real quick. So what is a remote caller. What is it? You know, or again, if you want to call it a shot caller, but don't. Here's why. Here's the biggest reason why I don't want you to call it a shot caller. We're not playing being politically correct. What happens when you think of the word shock, Kara? What comes to your mind? Pain. Pain. Have you ever been shocked? Uh... I don't think so. Do you ever stick a screwdriver in an outlet because nope. you're a curious kid? I'm smarter than that. <laughs> okay. Well, then I won't mention my childhood. <laughs> Joshua, how about you? Oh, there's a run-in with the law one time. No, I'm kidding. But the, <laughs> that's what I think of as a taser. Yeah. That's what I think of. Yeah. Even, again, that's what we think of because the definition of shock is electrical shock is defined as the physiological sensation or injury caused by electric current passing through the body. So when my clients come in and they say, oh, well, are we going to use the shock collar or whatever? I go, no, no, no. We're going to use a remote training collar. What is that? Immediately they change. Oh, do you have a cell phone? you have a smartphone? Yeah. Does it ever vibrate? Yeah, when I put on silence mode, I go, there you go. 
That's called a haptic signal. It's an electronic haptic signal. Touch. That's what this does. I can set it so low that it just whispers to the dog. It just grazes them. It just touches them. And for some dogs, that's enough. Because why? It's like being touched by a ghost. What the heck was that? And that's kind of pretty weird. And in fact, that's what a lot of people say when they put their fingers on. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's weird. (laughs) Yeah. And I go, what's that weird thing that gets the job done? Uh, But that's what it was designed to do was to allow you to touch your dog. Now, some also have a tone, which the tone can be paired with the touch, meaning tone touch at the same time. And if you're using it over a period of time, the animal will learn that tone means touch and touch possibly means tone. But the one the brain will think about more is the touch. Dogs learn with their eyes first, touch second. So the brain will prioritize the touch. And later you cannot do the touch, give the tone, but the brain thinks it got touched anyway or tries to avoid a touch. So hence why they all get done like that. Uh, But that's what it was for, was to allow you to touch your dog at a distance without being physically tethered for it. And it relies upon a haptic signal to get the job done. It does not emit a tone with a high enough frequency or decibels that will stop your dog from doing something that it should not be doing. The vibration, huh, depends on the dog. I've seen the bi- vibration mode mm-hmm. be something that the dog goes, oh, can you just shock me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't turn that button on again. Well, I don't like that button. In that process where we kind of hand the remote to or the, the collar to the client and we say, okay, I'm going to press this button now. Here you go. Every once in a while, depending on the client, I may trick them and I'll hit that vibrate and you'll see them throw that thing into the air. <laughs> Just from the vibrate. And I'll tell them, look, this is what you just threw in the air and show them that it was the vibrate. Now, here's the actual stimulation. And they go, oh, I'd much rather the stimulation than the vibrate. Yeah. So, the the vibration was meant to uh, get paired originally with a reward, meaning I'm training dog to retrieve a decoy or retrieve a duck in the lake. I tell dog, go. Dog goes. It swims. It's supposed to swim straight until it hears a whistle. When you hear the whistle, stop swimming, turn, tread water, and look at me. Because now I will guide you from that point to the duck. Mm -hmm. I will send you left, right, back, forward, whatever. When they turn around, you hit the vibration button. Dog knows it's done good. How does it know that? Because long before then, vibrate, treat. Vibrate, treat. Same thing, just vibrate and treat. So, of course, just like tone and touch, tone and touch, they get paired. Now, this is one example of the millions of things you can do with this remote collar. Because with my personal dogs, the vibrate means come to me when called. So there's many, many things that you can pair that vibrate with, pair this, the tone with, pair the everything. You're giving one example of thousands just oh, for our listeners. Amen. Yeah, it's, yeah. And when, uh, it's, it's limitless. When I was a police officer and when I trained police dogs, we used a vibration as a silent common call. You send a dog into a building to search for a bad guy has got weapons and you get a call on your radio through your little headphone saying, hey, I need you to move to the other side of the house with your dog. You don't want to stand up, stand in the open doorway and say, hey, Fido, come. 
No, that's how you get shot. That's how you get Fido shot. So you just hit this little vibration button and Fido shows up and you move around. It's, that's uh, how it's used in a tactical sense. So there's so many ways of doing that. Um, it also, one of the, allows you to give a, to be able to increase the signal. Hence why you have all the levels. You have those handy. Uh, some dogs, you'll press it on, if you have a remote collar that has 100 levels, you press it on 10 and they look at you like, uh, are we doing something? So, of course, if you had a machine that was limited to 10, well, now you might as well just throw it away because it's not going to work. It has many levels so that you can indeed communicate to your dog. You can start to increase the signal. It's what dogs do. It's what wolves do. It's what they do. They increase the signal. If I stare at you and you continue with the behavior I find undesirable, I may growl at you next. <laughs> and if you still continue, I may show you my big yellow fangs. And lastly, if you continue, I'm going to touch you with my yellow fangs. And there you go. It's called ritualized aggression. It's called obeying the law of semiotics, raise the signal in the presence of noise to achieve response one to signal one. It's how it gets done. And this allows you to do that. Uh, and then one other thing it allows you to do is disconnect yourself, meaning in obedience, you want to connect yourself. And we'll talk about that really heavily next week on how to train with them. But I'm telling you what, we don't own a dog that'll touch our kitchen counter. Why? Because the counter got him. It wasn't Brian. I was just sneaky. And I saw him on there and I went, uh -huh, here we go. And fire in the hole. Ow! And all of a sudden, dog comes right back. Man, they got me. Got me really bad. And it's looking down at his paws, and I'm going, yeah, I'll tell you what, those kitchen counters are horrible. You might not want to touch those darn things. And now, thank goodness, we don't have dogs. We don't have to worry about our dogs on kitchen counters, even when we're home, when we're not home, upstairs, backyard, doesn't matter, because I didn't touch you. The counter touched you, just like the old hunting dogs. I did it on purpose this time, because otherwise, I say No and then touch you with the remote collar, well, you do that a couple of times, uh, the counter's perfectly safe as long as Brian's not around. Mm -hmm. So I'll be all over, all over that bad boy. Uh, so anyway, it's lovely for that. Keeping dogs out of your flower bed. Litter box. Keeping them out of litter box. Dog walk up at my house, sees a litter box, and immediately they go, up. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> and they walk away from it. Litter box is dangerous, man. Tell you what's really dangerous. Uh, certain pieces of furniture, Nah, I'll go lay on the sectional over here, but I'm not going to lay on that heirloom that got passed down from generation to generation. <laughs> yeah, just an incredible tool that you no longer have to worry about it. And so guess whose quality of life just got improved? You ask my dogs, hey, would you like to run around a, a nice size house or do you want to be in a box? Huh? I like to run around the house and lay on the sectional and do things like that. You betcha. Mm -hmm. Know why you can? Because Brian used and Kara used a remote training call to make sure that you didn't chew on the things that they ha have a place of high value on. And also, most importantly, things that could harm you. I'm going to save you from yourself. Okay, with that, we're going to go ahead and take a short break. I need to get something to drink here. I'm getting all worked up over the remote collar, but we got some more stuff to go. When we come back, we're going to talk about the pros and cons because you know what? There are some cons. There really are. You we got a, a question you know for us, too. And we got a question for us. So we'll answer that question as soon as we come back. So we're going to go to a break. Guys, sit, 
stay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. All right, welcome back, everyone. We're talking about the, oh, my God, the horror of it all, a shock uh go scary 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 be very afraid very very afraid <laughs> okay you know i'm just kidding um we we love them we use them uh you know so let's talk about the pros and cons let's cover those okay the first pro first pro you guys chime in but my first pro it works <laughs> Enough said. End of the pros. I need to add anything more. It works. It creates, if it's used properly, and that will be in next week's episode, we'll make sure that if you get one of these, we're going to recommend which brands to get and how to use them properly. But if you do that, it creates reliable, reliable behaviors on the leash and off the leash. So, Kara, talk a little bit about that on the leash about our remote training call enhancement. Why do we have that? Well, we have it so that we can stereotype the signal for all of the people who are giving the signal to the dog. The dog yeah. receives the same signal from every single person, no matter who's pushing the button. So when we have a family, a lot of families have the dogs. What's their concern that the 12 year old may not be able to, or the dog won't respond to a 12 year old. Most of the time, their concern is that their dog is not going to listen to them like it did to the trainers when they're in a board and train program. But if they do remote collar enhancement, they're getting the same correction, same signal that the professional trainers gave the dog. Yeah. So, and that's so neat because thing. the machine doesn't care. <clears throat> that level 13 that you're talking about yesterday, Joshua, the machine doesn't care whose finger presses the button. So at least for a dog, the ability to understand. And plus dogs thrive on the familiar. They thrive on it. Mm -hmm. 
they thrive. Therefore, now all of a sudden, regardless if the husband works with the dog, the wife, the older child, again, I don't recommend that young children have these. We don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. But now at least, maybe you sound different. Maybe someone says, here, and someone says, here, and someone says, down, and someone says, down. <laughs> uh, but either at least the haptic signal, the auditory may change. The visual will certainly change. We all look different. And but the touch is the same. So again, that, that's a lovely, lovely thing. It allows you to touch them at a distance, which then means if your dog is reliable off the leash, well, you did that on purpose. Why did you create that behavior? You didn't have to, but you did it because why? I guarantee you had those hiking trips in mind. You had those visits to the park in mind, to the dog park. That's what you had in mind. A running partner where you did not have to hold on to the leash. A dog that can run next to your bicycle or, or run next to the horse that you're riding. That's what you had in mind. Freedom. Reliability. Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. What is the statement we have on the first page of our website? Yes. Reliable, Reliable obedience, obedience saves lives. It does. Because as soon as your dog can't do this, you're sad. And if your dog is can't do that, plus does other bad things, you're mad. Mm-hmm. Sad plus mad equals packed bags for dog. It's yep. a spiral and, down. And sometimes yeah. the hotel you check into is kind of like the one that the Eagles wrote about. You won't be checking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so therefore, again, it's, it's why we do it. Uh, it gets to eliminate nuisance behaviors. They're gone, man. They're gone. There's nothing like it. You got a dog chewing your furniture, getting on your kitchen counter, stealing your meds off of it, so on and so forth. Things that could kill it. I owned a vet hospital. I'll tell you all day long while we cut out of dogs. Game over. Done right then and there. It's a power equalizer. How many seniors do we get that uh, that walk in sometimes? And not to pick on seniors, I'm I'm getting in that category myself. I keep getting the AARP mailings and everything. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to pick on you. But that being said, anyone, regardless of what their age is, can break the golden rule and that end up owning more dog than they're really really capable of owning. We see it all the time here. We see. Older women go to the shelter, the Humane Society, and they'll adopt one of these pit bulls. And these pit bulls are strong. Yes. And it's just a matter of time until they pull the owner down. So that equalizes the power disparity. It's wonderful. Yeah, it equalizes the power. Mm -hmm. It, It suddenly gives you power that you never would have ever. It now gives that. So it increases the capability of getting to keep the dog, actually having the dog and keeping the dog. It, it takes no technique um, with pressing the button. The, it takes no technique to press that button where it takes months and months and months of practice to really get a good technique with a leash down. I mean, yeah. Yeah. we train trainers for yeah. Gullies. Oh, I'm, and, it does, and sometimes that doesn't even matter. You can have the best skill set in the world and yet you just still can't get it done. You can have the best leash, a great, uh, beautiful looking collar. It still doesn't get it done. I don't golf, but my brother took me golfing and he gave me some golf club that was supposed to make me into a pro. (laughs) 
And you know what? And that didn't work. It didn't. I might as well use a hockey, <laughs> you know, a hockey stick like Happy Gilmore. I didn't get, uh, I couldn't hit the ball at all to save my life. Uh, and then also lastly, if you do have a dog that suffers from hearing problems, um, it, this is how you can touch them. If you're, if you have a deaf dog that is running away from you, chasing something, not maybe just dis- being disobedient, but simply chasing something, how are you going to call it back? So you need to touch them. And then once you touch them, they turn and look at you. Now you can get the hand signal to come and call. Uh, so these are pros. I'm sure there's more of them, but those are the big ones that, that I've seen. Uh, cons. It's not idiot proof. <laughs> oh my God. It's not idiot proof. And that's probably where some of the problems come into is that this is a field in which, again, I've had clients that could walk circles around me with the law, with the medicine, technical, you name it. They didn't know squat about a dog. Mm-hmm. And they didn't take the time to learn to squat about the dog. But by golly, they're gadget freaks, so they got a gadget. And then you also just have some people who are just mean. They're just low life, just rotten human beings. And, you know, I, as I wrote in my blog, and I encourage you guys to go to my blog, it's titled the same thing, Shot Callers, the horror of it all. It's on our website, teamthewild.com, under blogs. But you'll read in there how the the laws of this country was based upon a hypothetical person known as the reasonable or prudent man. It wasn't made, these laws are not based upon the deranged idiot because they go, it becomes a standard. It was a standard because the hypothetical person was a closer match to the ordinary person. Their legal system would come to govern not an idiot. Mm-hmm. And again, you got to have reasonable, prudent people. The other con is it can lead to rushing your training, meaning it's so effective. It works so well that now all of a sudden we get impatient and we think, hey, look what I just taught my dog. And now we abandon a good, sound, slow training plan and we speed it up and we try to cram too much down and the data flow just chokes not good. Other thing is some people forget to take them off their dog. I don't know why, but they do. And when that happens and your dog drinks or your dog gets soaking wet, moisture gets between the collar. The collar does have metal tips. Metal tips on soft skin creates hole in soft skin and the hole in soft skin creates hot spots because we have a bacterial assault happening right there. So you got to keep an eye on that. And then the other con has batteries. <laughs> so, guys, another reason why it's not called a shock collar, it's not plugged into the wall. It's not 110 volts and 40 amps. It's a watch battery, the same darn size battery that more than likely is using the charger stinking smartphone that you wear around, or I mean your smartwatch that's connected to your smartphone. Uh, it runs off of batteries. And what has happened to many people I've talked to is right in the middle of that really good, really good training session, it dies. And it just happens to be timed way before the dog would come on its own. It still need to be made to come. It was still in that and, you know, cost versus benefit. I'm chasing the squirrel. I'm chasing the cat. I'm chasing the other dog. I'm terrorizing people, riding bicycles. Mm-hmm. And that's a fun, fun thing. And that's a super benefit. And all of a sudden, the cost went away. Yep. 
Oh, well, unleash benefit, baby. Here we go. <laughs> benefit wins. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, dang, I forgot to recharge last night. I had to suffer that consequence one time before I got into a nightly charging routine. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's probably a pro uh, in the sense that today's batteries in these aren't the ones that reset they are they designed. In fact, I just read some little literature on something that we bought recently. I think it was like a remote battery that you can do filming, plug things in if you're going camping or whatever. And it says batteries love exercise. Uh, so plug it in every single night. But these are the cons and those are the pros. And, and probably the last con, and we're going to get ready to wrap up here, is you have to justify it to all the idiots. You know, what is that on your dog? Oh, my God. You horrible person. You don't know anything about me. Yeah. Did you know that I served my country? Did you know I was awarded medals for that? Did you know I was awarded medals as a cop? Did you know this? Do you know that? So you judge all of things about me because my dog is wearing a device that makes it 10 times better trained than your dog, which makes it 10 times more happier than your dog. So I'm going to end it on that note there. Guys, next week, come back, come back because we are going to talk about how to use it. We talked about why to use it today. Now, how to use it, and that's really important. So stay tuned. We'll be back next week. You have a great week. Keep on training. Keep on working. Keep in mind always attention, motivation, cognition. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild in Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.